And this morning, we're going to consider the uh, topic of anxiety and the peace of God. Why do we now live in anxiety? That's a question that was posed in a sermon by a 5th century pastor, a bishop by the name of Augustine, Augustine of Hippo. That is the region in which he ministered uh, 1,600 years ago. 1,600 years ago. Why do we now live in anxiety? That would be around um, modern-day Algeria. Augustine pastored the church almost 40 years, and while he was there, the unthinkable occurred. On August the 26th, the year 410, after 900 years of impenetrable security, Rome was sacked. Rome was sacked by a Gothic army led by the general uh, Alaric. Another church leader commented, if Rome can perish, what can be safe? Talk about anxiety. It's a relevant subject both then and now. So let's talk about it. Let's discuss it. Let's study God's word about it. And, and here's my operating assumption here. I'm going to operate under the assumption that our anxieties lose their strength when they are examined. When we put anxiety beneath the lens and the study of God's word, and when we examine them with words, spoken words and written words, and the word, then they, they will lose their power. They'll lose their power over us. So I want to collect words and accumulate words and descriptions of the experience of anxiety over the next several weeks, and I want to immerse them in Scripture. And this morning, I want to begin with Augustine's question. Why do we now live in anxiety? Why do we now live in anxiety? So let's consider the problem, the problem of anxiety. And then I want to talk about the anatomy of anxiety. And then finally, I want to close with the blessing of anxiety. The blessing of anxiety. So let's get to work. The problem of anxiety. Why do we now live in, in anxiety? Can you ever recall a time when a wave of anxiety flooded your soul? Anything, anything come to mind? For me, it was a school setting. I was preparing to take an exam. I had been thorough with the study guide. Uh, I overprepared, I felt. I uh, was reasonably confident that I would do well. And then test day came. The proctor gave me the exam. I had one hour. I began. Within three minutes, it became painfully painfully aware to me that I was woefully unprepared. <laughs> Which meant I had 57 minutes to go. <laughs> I thought, this is not, this is the Titanic. 
going down, and it's, it's not even going to take 57 minutes. This is not good. This is really not good. I'm not going to pass this. I studied all semester, too. I studied all semester, uh, several days a week, several hours a day, and, and, and I'm not going to, this is not going to work. This is not, this, I am taking in water, and, and, and uh, uh, I just, I just right there at the desk, I'm just going, this is, I'm going down. And you know what? That's exactly what happened. Okay? There wasn't, oh, you're just worried about nothing. No, no, no. That's what happened, man. I mean, and, and uh, then more anxious thoughts flooded my soul. You know, like, well, okay, I've, this is, if I fail this test, I'm going to fail the course. If I fail the course, I'm going to get a degree. But what, 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 what will people say? What will people say? Newcomers who have never met me will go in the fireside room and, oh, you're the pastor who couldn't pass the test. (laughs) People in my neighborhood, people in my neighborhood, oh, Randy, oh, he's wonderful. He'll get your mail for you on vacation. He just couldn't pass the test. (laughs) My grandchildren will sit on my lap and they will look at me in the face. Grandpa, why couldn't you pass the test? Why couldn't you pass the test? Why couldn't you pass the test? (laughs) That's that's my story. That's one. That's one. What's your story? Anybody here struggle with anxiety? Anxiety about health? What will my what will my six month lab work say? Anxiety about money? Is there gonna be enough? Is there going to be enough for fill in the blank? And anxiety about children or anxiety about our grandchildren and the world that they're going to be growing old in. Anxiety about our nation. I don't know if you know this or not, but this is an election year. (laughs) And, And I'll just be honest with you. I'm not really in angst about the results of November's election. I feel angst about how those results will affect our relationships in this church. That's what puts me on my knees. Will it affect our unity? Will will some of us put partisanship ahead of our allegiance to Christ? Those, I just... Uh, anxious about war. Uh, anxious about anxious about your abuser. Some of you are in stories that are just heart wrenching, and there's anxiety about your about about the person who abused you. And then on the other side, there's anxiety about how. You will be treated as an abuser. See, uh, there's anxiety about being single. There's anxiety about being married. There's anxiety because you have to go to work tomorrow and once again face that crazy maker boss. Your toxic work environment all but guarantees anxiety. There's anxiety because some of you are going to have to deliver bad news tomorrow. There's anxiety because you might fail something. There's anxiety because you might succeed. If you succeed, then more will be asked of you. Anxiety about 
getting a job, anxiety about having to move, anxiety about aging. Some of you have anxiety about being in a room this large with so many people. It's just very, very difficult. If you can't identify your anxiety, here are some statements that might help. Statements like, I need, fill in the blank. I want, fill in the blank. Or I don't want, fill in the blank. How, how do you respond when you don't get what you want? Or when you do get what you want? What happens? Do you have trouble sleeping? Does your mind go over troubles again and again? I mean, what do you do when you feel anxious? Okay. More importantly, what would the Lord like us to do? What would the Lord like us to do? This is where we're zeroing in on our big idea for this morning. It's, I'm, I'm taking it from Psalm 94, 19. It's just, would you just, would you just immerse yourself in this verse? And here it is. The psalmist says in Psalm 94, 19, When my anxious thoughts multiply within me, your consolations delight my soul. When my anxious thoughts multiply within me, your consolations delight my soul. Would you say that with me on three? One, two, three. When my anxious thoughts multiply within me, your consolations delight my soul. Isn't that good? Isn't that a good word? So here's the big idea. When anxiety spins out of control, let God's comfort delight your soul. When anxiety spins out of control, let God's comfort delight your soul. Notice the psalm and the main point says when, not if. Anxious thoughts happen. If you're alive, you are going to face anxiety. So it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of to what extent. So at the outset, it needs to be said in a series on anxiety that this pulpit cannot help you eradicate all anxiety from your life. Instead of anxiety eradication, God's goal, hear me, is self-relocation in the delightful comfort of his peace. So immerse anxiety in God's peace. Anxiety is no occasion for pulpit shame. Rather, it's part of our walk with Christ, our apprenticeship with Christ. If you go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, you'll read where the Apostle Paul speaks of a stake in his flesh. The translations say thorn in the flesh. We're not talking about a rose thorn. We're talking about a tent stake, a spike in the flesh. This ongoing ache that tormented him yet drove him to the grace of Christ. Are we open enough to see anxiety as an occasion to hear Jesus say, my grace is sufficient for you? My grace is sufficient for you. That's why, that's why the psalmist would say, when my anxious thoughts multiply within me, your consolations delight my soul. So, so anxiety is no autonomous free agent. Rather, it resides 
in the sovereign picture of God's peace. And what is that picture? Well, that's where we move from the problem of anxiety to the anatomy of anxiety. So what, what is it about? What big picture of God contains anxiety? Well, it's, it's, it's the story of the Bible. It's the grand narrative of Scripture. The, the Bible is more than 66 books with two testaments. The Bible is one grand narrative. I, I'm thinking of uh, what... Uh, 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 of the Lord of the Rings. What tale have we fallen into? Well, here it is. And you've heard it before. And you'll hear it again. But I find it a very helpful lens through which to understand anxiety, creation, fall, redemption, restoration. Let's, let's immerse anxiety in the story of God. The grand narrative of Scripture. First, creation. Genesis 1 and 2. Genesis 1 and 2 describe the perfect world. A world without anxiety. Genesis states that God put the man and the woman in the garden as stewards of creation. High priests of the temple garden of Eden. Made in the image of God. They, they were to represent the Lord. And Genesis 2.15 says they were, their, their commissioning was to work and to care for it. To work and to care for it. To work it and take care of it. And that phrase, take care of, means to guard, to protect, to watch over, to keep vigil. So our spiritual ancestors were tasked with sentry duty. And the word that I'm thinking of is vigilance. Vigilance. Vigilance is the God-granted emotion that takes prompt action to any threat. Vigilance is constructive concern for the well-being of others and the progress of God's kingdom. Vigilance prods us to tend and befriend. Tend and befriend. Vigilance is the willing and eager attentiveness to steward creation in a God-dependent, God-glorifying way. Vigilance causes us to be proactive. Vigilance asks probing questions. It's on the lookout for ways that creation can flourish. It acts in selflessness. It's God-reliant. And God assigned Adam and Eve the responsibility of keeping vigil. And they responded by meeting with God in the cool of the day for communication and conversation and fellowship. Vigilance. What a beautiful, beautiful task and commissioning that was in creation. And then in Genesis chapter 3, this pristine, sinless creation was spoiled by sin. God had commissioned Adam and Eve to vigilance, but then a wily serpent showed up whose first words were, did God really say? And the temptation led to sin. Question, where was Adam when the serpent was tempting his wife? Do you know? He was standing right next to her. <laughs> Genesis 3, 6. <laughs> you, know, you, know what I, you, you know what you can call that? That's called a wall. Hmm. Actually, it's P-wall. 
present. He wasn't absent. He was present, but he was absent. I have to work on that acronym a little better for second service, won't I? <laughs> Why don't you work on that and meet me in the fireside room? All right. But, I mean, he was, he was, he was standing right there. <laughs> they saw the fruit. They took the fruit. They ate the fruit. And at that moment, their sin evidenced flight and fight. They fled. They, they hid in the garden out of fear. That's the flight. And then they blamed, right? Adam blamed Eve. Eve blamed the serpent. That's fight. Now, here's what I want you to remember. Every dysfunctional fallen emotion is a distortion of God's original design. I'll say that again. Every dysfunctional fallen emotion is a distortion of God's original design. Thus, the pre-fall emotion of vigilance was distorted by sin into the post-fall disorder of anxiety. Because of sin... Vigilance, the responsible experience of watchful care, gets twisted into anxiety. What I'm saying is that anxiety is vigilance out of control. Anxiety is trying to maintain control in a self-protective, self-sufficient way apart from God. Anxiety causes you to continually, obsessively scan your world, flooding yourself with worries over the what-ifs of life. Anxiety is toxic scanning. And when you catch yourself obsessing over the what-ifs, chances are you're on the path of anxiety. What if? What if? What if this year the economy tanks? Or what if we go to war? What if I can't make the mortgage? What if I can't pay the property taxes? What if my children can't afford college? What if I can't retire and I have to keep working? What if that, what if that difficult conversation goes really badly? Wave after wave after wave of what ifs roll in, one anxious thought leading to another and then another and then another until our anxieties become one colossal catastrophizing flood. Hmm. You know what I'm talking about? And because we're in a church, and because I'm a pastor, and this is a pulpit, people want to know, well, pastor, is anxiety a sin? You know? That's not a helpful question. And here's why. Here's why. You know, and maybe you were in a church where it says, yes, it's sin. So now you're not only anxious about whatever it was that made you anxious, but now you're anxious about the anxiousness. Welcome to Windsor Road. Seth, I don't find that a helpful question, beloved church. I don't. And, and, and here's why. Anxiety is an emotion, not a decision. People typically don't wake up in the morning and decide, well, I'm going to be anxious today. It just happens, right? And then we must respond. So let me propose, let me rephrase that question. If, 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 and it's an, important, it's an important topic, but let me rephrase it. And it would be this. When might anxiety lead to sin? That's better, isn't it? When might anxiety? So anxiety about finances can give rise to coveting and greed and hoarding and stealing. Well, that's a problem. Anxiety about succeeding at some task can make you irritable and abrupt and surly. 
Anxiety about relationships can make you withdrawn, indifferent, and uncaring about other people. Anxiety about how, how some, someone might respond can make you cover the truth about things. So, so think of anxiety as a warning light that if left unchecked could lead to a temptation that if left unchecked would bait you into acting in unbelief. See? Some of us are struggling with everyday anxiety. Some of us are struggling with excessive anxiety. But all of us are struggling. Why? Creation fall. It's a sinful, broken, fallen world. And sin distorts vigilance into anxiety. Sin, our fallen world, has fashioned vigilant warriors into anxious warriors. This is about as exciting as happy thoughts from the book of Job, isn't it? <laughs> Give me some good news, pastor. <laughs> Who will deliver me from this? Here's the good news. Here it is. Jesus. Jesus. Thank God for Jesus. Thank God he sent his son Jesus, who in another garden, Gethsemane, faced the anxiety of death and rejection. He committed himself to his heavenly father. He modeled absolute trust all the way to the cross. He endured the cross. He scorned its shame. He did not deny his angst. Mark 14, 34, my soul is very sorrowful even to the point of death. And yet in that circumstance, he prayed, Father, not my will, but what you will. And he did this for us. He did what we could not do ourselves. And we will experience the power of life or death depending on which garden we choose to remain in, Eden or Gethsemane. And life according to the flesh is a fear-based, self-centered life that follows the first Adam. And life according to the Spirit is a faith-based, Christ-centered life that follows the second Adam. When anxiety strikes, when that warning light comes on, into which garden do you park your car? Where does your anxiety drive you? Think about the last time fear and anxiety stalked you. What was your response? Was it a response of trusting God and protecting others or, or self-trust and protecting self? Okay. I feel like I need to say this. Uh, so I'll, I'll, let, me, let me say this quickly. A word on anxiety medication if your doctor prescribed it, take it. <laughs> okay? And thank God for it. And, and know that, that, that no prescription medicine can make you holy. Nothing you put in your mouth can make you holy. It can help physically so that you can then Focus spiritually, see? But, but please don't think, you know, if I only had more faith, I wouldn't need my medicine. I don't believe, I don't believe that. 
Okay? Now, there will come a day when we won't need medicine. Creation, fall, redemption. Here it is, restoration. There it is. On, on, on one day called the day, we will experience complete victory over anxiety. Revelation 21.4 promises he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. Anxiety is real. Anxiety is temporary. And God, God has set boundaries on anxiety. This far you may go and no more. And so if, if you or someone you care about is struggling with anxiety, what's your goal? Well, you may shout to get rid of the anxiety. Well, that's understandable. However, God does not promise that this side of heaven, all feelings will be healed and all negative emotional experiences will be wiped away. It's on the other side of heaven that the promise is there. And because we know the end of the, of the story, we live today in light of the day. And when anxiety assaults us, we can stand firm because we know that the triumph which began the day we gave ourselves to Christ will one day be completed on the day of Christ's visitation. Now that's the big picture. We live in a fallen world. Our hearts are afflicted with anxiety. Like Peter walking on water, he saw waves, he took his eyes off Christ, he started to sink. When we lose sight of God, we start thinking we're God. We grow anxious and that makes everybody else anxious. But God in his mercy sent Christ, who modeled the perfect sinless life and substituted himself on the cross for us. And his body was raised to vindicate his claims as son of the most high. And more than that, he ascended to the heavenly realm where he reigns, reigns, rules over all things visible and invisible. And more than that, he has flooded his church, not with worry, but with the Holy Spirit of peace. Jesus' spirit lives with us. He's in this room right now. And Jesus promised, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. And so God wants us to know him so intimately and trust him so completely that our desire to fix our troubles in our own way will no longer consume us. And as we grow in our love for God, we'll experience the right concern in the midst of all of our troubles. When my anxious thoughts multiply within me, your comfort delights my soul. That's the anatomy. And now you can see why in this story we can understand anxiety as a blessing. As a blessing. And it's a twofold blessing. And the first part is this anxiety. Anxiety is a blessing because it turns me to the God who is near. The God who is near. Acts 17, 27 says, he is actually not far from each of us. So our God always sees us, always hears us. He always appeals to the Father on our behalf. Listen to me, hear me. We do not worship a myth. This is not a weekly funeral service where we remember someone named Jesus like we remembered Abraham Lincoln and then pass on some learnings from his life in our lives today. 
or some other historical figure. That, that, that's not this. This is a gathering of the redeemed of God who in worship and song bow before the chief shepherd of the church, Jesus, the risen Messiah, who is not far from each of us. He hears us. He loves us. He is interceding to the Father on our behalf. Believe that. Believe that. Your anxiety is real. God's sovereign power is more real. And the consolation that cheers my soul far outweighs the anxieties that burden my soul. And one consoling word from Christ weighs more than all my worries. And that word is risen. Risen. You want to have a good reason to worry? You have a good reason to worry if Jesus is still in the tomb. Above all people, we are to be most pitied. But he is risen. He is not here. He is risen, as he said. Therefore, what can man do to me? It doesn't take a great deal of courage to believe God is on your side when you are prospering or winning. It takes an enormous amount of courage to believe that God is on your side when you're suffering and losing. To believe in love in the face of hatred, life in the face of death, day in the dark of night, good in the face of evil. Some people call this wishful thinking. Christians call it faith. Anxiety is an occasion to trust the God who is near. Thus the psalmist says, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. That's one blessing of anxiety. And the second blessing is this. Because God is near, anxiety helps me focus on today. See, just today. So look for God's nearness today. In your friendships, in the beauty of a winter day, in a church service, in a, in a conversation in the foyer, in a hymn, a poem, a good book. When we know God is with us, we can take pleasure in the good things of daily life. Give us this day our daily bread. It's all he's promised. So here's the blessing. That God would use the thorn, the stake of anxiety, to drive me into the bosom of his peace. So we pray, God, if... If anxiety makes me closer and more dependent on you, then make me anxious. I think that's all for today. Your grace is sufficient. Your promises are true. When I am full of fear and anxiety, Lord, I will trust in you for the glory of the King Jesus. God's people said,